You're listening to City is Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. My name's Rick Enlow, and I get to be at the big black microphone right next to Dave Hillis, the president of Leadership Foundations. How you doing, Dave? Good, Rick. Hey, you know what? And, uh, and we do. We both we both have big black yeah, microphones. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, we worked our way up, you know, from the smaller <laughs> mics, and now we're at the big time. So <laughs> no, this is great. I mean, actually, this is our fourth episode in this current series that we're calling Imagining Abundance. And uh, so you want to give us a, the 30-second flyby on that in case somebody's just jumping in? Yeah, to kind of go back again to everyone uh, and remind them that with the city as playground metaphor that is so critical for us, but one, one of the implications of that is that you begin to see the economy as one of abundance rather than scarcity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we uh, believe that deeply, but are looking for ways to uh, further flesh that out and understand that in a whole host of different contexts, you know, whether it is in a place like Fresno that we had a chance to uh, listen to here uh, a few weeks ago, or now this time around in of all places, Philippi, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, uh, it's going to be a very enjoyable conversation to listen to that. Well, and you're like, one of the things we have uh, touched on each episode is that uh, what the fundamental uh, or founding idea behind uh, understanding abundance, imagining abundance and living that way is how we see. Uh, And so we talked last time about paying attention in this case, uh, you know, the idea of seeing, um, you know, from like you said, not only uh, different geographies, but uh, different people groups, uh, you know, um, even time zones, you know, so uh, that's going to yeah. be great for us to switch up from the West Coast and head over to uh, to West Virginia. Now, um, we have mentioned several scriptural images, Dave, and, you know, we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and how that was a picture of, uh, you know, a kind of a scarcity to abundance kind of example, talked about the woman who, you know, poured out this uh, amazing expensive perfume and, and showed this lavish uh, expression of gratitude to Jesus. Yeah. I'll bet we're out of, we, I bet we don't have any more examples from, from, uh, from the canon, do we? Or can you think of one more? <laughs> I can. Uh, okay. I thought you might. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, you know, and it, this is, uh, this scripture I think is important, Rick, at a couple of levels. Um, the first is, is I would describe it as an orientation um, scripture. In other words, it, it in effect kind of sets up the entire 66 books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that is, is that in Genesis, in the creation account, of course, we have two creation accounts. Um, but in effect, you're almost, and I like to think about it this way, it's almost like you are inducted into a world. Mm. Um, I, the image that I oftentimes think about is, you know, Narnia and, uh, them entering in through the wardrobe. Right. And you're now a part of something that you didn't prior knew existed. And so, you know, as opposed to just kind of running through and saying, yeah, well, Jesus or uh, God, you know, created this, created this, created this. It's almost like you want to pause for a minute and look back over your shoulder and go, Hmm, I think I've just left a world, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't, you know, have this kind of shape. Uh, and what we see in that initial kind of creation is, is just this, I mean, you might even go so far as to say, um, not just abundance, but a kind of extravagance mm-hmm. um, that, that borders on being uh, too much, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like enough already. Um, and, and, and every time something is created, whether it's the swimming things, whether it's the heavens, whether it's the, you know, creepy crawly things importantly, and this is the second piece, uh, is that it is all good. This has been one of the things that, that for me, Rick, you know, when people kind of go, oh, okay, that sounds a little bit theological, maybe even a little bit poetical. Um, I love going into a city with the Leadership Foundation president because they're in love with their cities. And, you know, they'll take you to this corner or that corner. And, you know, 
whether they know it or not, what they are embarking upon, I think is the Genesis liturgy of, and this is good, and this is good. And even mm -hmm. in the places where maybe it's uh, not so good right now, they will say something like, and it was great back in the day, and we're you know now putting our hand to a couple of initiatives. It's going to bring it back to its you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah uh, historical glory. But just I think doing that you know Rick that 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 sense of abundance of ripeness of of just overflowing of you know we've used this word before of effulgence, right? It's just it's frothy and creamy and you know just just wonderful. Um, yeah. And I do so. think that I think when we feel that, like, like you said, when you get a chance to, to, you know, uh, have somebody lead you through their city, you know, and, and there, uh, there's a certain, a sense of, I mean, even the, you know, even the, the ownership of saying it's my city, you know, just that whole idea. Yeah, yeah that's uh, right. But it, it right. almost, it puts them almost in the co-creative uh, mode, you know, where they're saying, you know, I have dreams for this place and I, you know, and, and, um, and I love that, that when, um, you know, that get one bird would have been enough, you know, but <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the, the extravagance of, of the creation is such a, it's such a cool thing to think about. You know, I, I think about, um, you know, the, the text where, uh, it talks about the blessing of God being, you know, uh, pressed down, you know, shaken together, together. and yep. running over, you know, this, this, it's just, it's more than you need. Yeah. And, yeah. and certainly that's the, that's a picture of uh, what we're saying in terms of, this, you know, this extravagance and uh, abundant kind of uh, uh, outlook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it also reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis uh, said a number of years ago where he wrote, you know, in the end, we are going to find <clears throat> not that our desires were too strong, but they were too weak. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think that's that's right, and you know, and, and there's of course reasons at times for that, right? We afraid our heart's going to get broken, which it yeah. inevitably will be. Uh, yeah, you know, we're afraid that it maybe might not turn out quite the way we want, which inevitably will not. But there's something about that baseline, um, and to be able to kind of sit in your community, uh, like Rustin does, uh, to sit in your city, like some of our others do, and go this is an abundant place. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to declare it as such. And now let's begin to have fun and work out uh, what that looks like in practical ways moving forward. Yeah. And I think Dave, one of the things um, that uh, I remember uh, feeling and experiencing when we went to uh, the center uh, in Washington, DC, the, uh, the uh, Colangelo Carpenter Center for Innovation, just the idea of that there's going to be a, um, either an initiative, an idea, or, you know, somebody who has a dream that can be scaled at a level beyond a local level. And that that's called yeah. innovation. <clears throat> or just the idea of innovation is, uh, is an abundant kind of, kind of, uh, you Mentality. know, way, way to yeah. think. Yeah. Because you're yeah. thinking, Hey, yeah. you know, we, we want to, uh, you know, we want to see this innovated, which means expanded or, you know, um, further applied. And that's, I think, a uh, a really wonderful, abundant attitude. And I know that, um, that Rustin is, uh, uh, talked to me about the innovation, uh, in, in, uh, you know, that's happening there in, in Philippi. Well, I, uh, I could go on a long time, uh, introducing Rustin Seaman. He's, uh, again, a long time friend and colleague. Um, <clears throat> I, I would, so let me say a couple things. The first is, is that, um, it's really Rustin, almost singularly, that has taken Leadership Foundations and seen its potential, but uh, recognized that, you know, historically it was all about cities. <clears throat> and here's Rustin, the innovator that he is, sitting out in Philippi, West Virginia. I think it's a town of about 2,000 people or so. I'm kind of stuck up in, uh, you know, one of the hollers. And he... Um, says, I think that calibrated in the right way, that model could work in my community. Mm. So it was Rustin that came to me and said, Dave, look, um, are you open <clears throat> to uh, considering, you know, small towns, communities, rural 
And, you know, truth be told, Rick, I initially said, ah, you know, I mean, I, you know, city is playground. I mean, what, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah. You can't, no, can't mess, have, there's mess no with the DNA. playground book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and then in a very kind of tricky, I would say, uh, way, he said, why were you guys in cities in the first place? And, you know. The stock answer, of course, was always, well, that's, you know, back in 1978 with Reed Carpenter. I mean, the city center was the sort of catch basin of the of the poor and the dispossessed and the marginalized. And that's what we're about. And then Russin says, uh, is that still true? And there was this moment, Rick, for me of recognizing the fact that, you know, when you look over the last probably 10, maybe 15 years, um, you know, this whole notion of the city center becoming popular again. Yeah. Um, and of course, in that, you know, uh, people of money and means begin to move into cities and displace the poor. And of course, where are they going? Well, Rustin's argument was they're going outside the city. They're going yeah. into smaller communities. They're going into rural places. So through Rustin's leadership, we put a task force together of about five kind of smaller, you know, sort of um, market leadership foundations, and uh, they produced a report. And that report then came to the Yellow Board of Directors that effectively asked the question, along with cities, uh, would LF consider going to uh, smaller size, uh, you know, towns and, and communities? And it was endorsed by the board here probably about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, that is just one example of uh, Rustin Seaman and his kind of uh, pit bull-like intensity around uh, something that he thought if it was innovated in the right way, it could be a blessing to others. Mm, yeah. The second thing about Rustin <clears throat> is that, um, I mean, he's so far ahead of most of us with regard to innovation. It's, it's almost kind of laughable at times, but he is uh, really recognized the uh, whole notion of light and energy. And so it's created his uh, leadership foundation there is called New Vision. And one of their first innovations uh, was his, again, Rustin's love of basketball. He was a basketball player himself. Uh, but he realized in most poor communities uh, that you don't have a gym, right? You can go to so he uh, and a couple of buddies uh, began to think about that. And what they did is they created rims with LED lighting. Uh, and so they now can clip those on outdoor park hoops and it creates enough light where they can play basketball uh, at <laughs> night. Hmm. Uh, he's taken, for example, a whole bunch of those uh, down to Puerto Rico and helped uh, after the, uh, you know, the hurricane down there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's just stuff like this. Rick, just time and time again, um, I had a chance to be a part of a, a kind of a presentation he did on a, the first time I was on a jumbotron uh, and they wanted me to kind of come into Philippi and kind of give a message and, you know, how proud we are of, of New Vision. And so here I was. So I'm having a chance to watch this whole thing uh, and waiting for my moment to kind of pick up the mic. But what it was being dedicated around was a, a former barn effectively that had been turned into a uh, healthcare center uh, right there in Philippi, which is in many ways, you know, within West Virginia, kind of ground zero of the op- opioid, you know, epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so finally this town, uh, again, because of new vision and Rustin's leadership, I had a place where treatment could be provided. I mean, I, again, People would get tired of all the innovations I could kind of tell about Rustin Seaman, uh, but his fingerprint on the Leadership Foundations, uh, you know, we can't overstate uh, how important he has been. Yeah, you know, and and to his, he seems not only uh, obviously innovative and, you know, and uh, forward thinking, but uh, it's almost prophetic in the sense that I was just this mm-hmm. last week talking to somebody about um uh, new refugee opportunities, you know, with folks that are coming in from some, you know, especially Afghanistan and some distressed spots and yeah. how um, some of the major cities are not um, in any way going to be accommodating any because of the expense, 
you know, of trying to settle someone in the city, but that it was going to be in almost all rural, what we would consider more rural areas or uh, smaller towns that are going to, um, you know, be able to, to, to be the place where they land. That's right. And so uh, it's, that's, you know, I mean, who would have thought of that, you know, even five years ago. So um, exactly. Yeah. And also I think the, um, you know, the, the notion when you said, uh, you know, the opioid, opioid, uh, you know, uh, pandemic, I mean, you know, we kind of have isolated pandemics to just, you know, the COVID pandemic, but you know, that that's to be aware of, you know, uh, other, um, you know, healthcare emergencies really, you know, prior to this is, is again, um, you know, yeah. prophetic and innovative. So uh, look forward to hearing uh, from uh, this opportunity to have this conversation with Rustin. Yeah, it's going to be great. My name is Rustin Seaman, and I'm the executive director for New Vision, um, the West Virginia Leadership Foundation, based outside of the town of Philippi in Barber County. So we're uh, a countywide rural organization doing work uh, in a kind of a rural context in neighborhoods. So Barber County is about 16,000 people. Um, our town, the, the county seat, Philippi, is a town of 3,500. And there's a local university, Alderson Broadish University, has about 800 students. Um, there's 2,300 school kids in our county. Um, there's seven physical schools, there's one high school. So as a rural place, everybody in a county like this would kind of be aware of the number of people that serve with different organizations. Um, so our work, we think about going very deep with maybe a smaller set of people rather than ministering to large volumes of people in a, a narrow way. Our neighborhood, I've been at it 40 years, so most of the parents now were children when I first came. So I've been aware of generational work as well. That's relatively unique, but it's, it's true of leadership foundations, the idea of being place-based um, when you get a calling to a community, you really should transform it in the way that when you raise your own children, it becomes you know the place that you want your kids to live. And it's a challenge. Rural Appalachia, you know, is got like many places, resource challenges, energy challenges, economic challenges. And uh, it also has a rich history of innovative people with a real capacity. If they say that necessity is the mother of invention, then we're pretty innovative people because we've we've invented you got to make your own fun you get to you know i'm i guess i'm the unofficial mayor of our neighborhood you get to empower yourself in different ways just because sometimes the structures are absent and you get to put some structure to it and anyway it's a joy to serve with the leadership foundation network around the world um been very committed to finding best practice ideas and implementing them our organization has three primary uh, points of focus. Uh, one is youth mentoring, uh, which we're part of the LF network of doing that around the country and even around the world. Um, we also have a special emphasis on re-energizing communities. So when we talk about what we're doing, it is trying to keep alive neighborhoods that, you know, perpetually fall into decay and trying to avoid the brain drain of losing the best and the brightest from a neighborhood and trying to stimulate the economy so that there is something to offer. And then we also got involved with creating renewable lighting, solar lighting for the developing uh, world. So there's something that if you only focus on the problems in your neighborhood and you don't find a way to connect with being a solution to something in the world, then your community always becomes inwardly focused. So we have those three things that kind of keep us busy every day and uh, we're we're not without opportunities uh, to make things better the main thing is we live in a forest it's the most beautiful hardwood forest in the world uh, so it's an amazing place but it's also um it's very isolating in terms of you can you can't see the forest through the trees sometimes a person lives next door and so it's got a lot of covered area um, families historically have struggled economically for whatever reason i think 
the people that um, settled in West Virginia were hardworking people at some level that probably left the East Coast to get away from government and regulation and all those kind of things. And people that settled the land here were always very indigenous and hardworking. And, you know, there is a way to make your life. You can heat your home with firewood. And the coal industry has its own legacy, you know, it's extraction technology. West Virginia has big companies that have, you know, purchased the mineral rights and employed the people, but it really didn't leave the communities where coal mines exist vibrant and alive. When the coal mines started slowing down, you know, the community is left um, struggling. I don't know, politically, our, our state has some incredible people, but they also, you know, I don't think we've done all that well in terms of tapping and taking advantage of all the things in the American system that make other communities vital. So um, educationally, our, our, a lot of times upward mobility means that you get a degree and then you have to leave because the economy doesn't, you know, support like technology is a good issue. Broadband in our state is pathetic mm-hmm. in most places. So, you know, if you're going to get a university degree, you're going to somehow have to go somewhere where that pipeline is working. So rural neighborhoods are losing uh, again because of the technology divide. And it's losing some of the brightest people um, from within the rural infrastructure. Um, I don't know. West Virginia is... Um, generationally families, most families in our neighborhood aren't planning on moving anywhere. So it's not, upward mobility is very different uh, in terms of uh, Appalachian life. Most people want to live near their extended family. And there's a real positive side to that in terms of people know their cousins and their aunts and uncles. And then there's kind of a myopic side where um, it's not rich with the infusion of kind of fresh ideas and innovation in terms of what is being offered. And our state's slowly catching up. I mean, we have some corridors in our state that are very progressive, our university and the interstate system, but we live more typical of West Virginia counties, 30 minutes from the interstate where you gotta, you have to intentionally want to drive to our county. Uh, There isn't just like people passing through. And so the economy, uh, unfortunately, has always been in the bottom. It's Mississippi and West Virginia, sometimes Louisiana, we battle for the bottom of kind of vibrancy for economic life. And that's the problem that we face as as an organization. One of the things that we're last in is what's called workforce participation. So that's the number of 16 to 24-year-olds that are actually employed or actively getting an education. And right now, it's uh, more than 60% of our young people aren't in school or aren't employed. And so that that number is tremendously negative because if you're not actively engaged in positive production for your life cycle, then you find yourself drifting into things that probably aren't very wholesome. So at the end of the day, most everybody that lives here loves you know, maybe a hard place to eke it out, but they um, enjoyed neighborhood life, and it's a uh, it's wonderful to be a part of it. And the other thing I would say is it's a it's a spiritual place. You know, there are small community churches. I think we have seventy some in our in our county. And so people, I think, have a strong belief in God, but sometimes the the outworkings of what we do Monday through Saturday, you know, is very different than kind of the spiritual life on Sunday. So we have been involved with trying to help churches move into the space where, you know, the leadership of, of congregations makes a difference. Um, you know, the opioid crisis has grown up in a way that is just like uh, incredibly sad. Um, millions. Our, our our county for a five-year period had over a million oxycodone, hydrocodone, Percocet pills sold legally through the three pharmacies. It was like there's only 16,000 people in our county and how a million pills could be prescribed and sold. And 
what was happening is a lot of people were selling those pills to young people who then became addicted. And you get addicted, you get arrested, you get arrested, you get a record, you get a record, you don't have a job and you lose access to your family. So some of it is I could describe a plight that, you know, maybe that's why they have country music. It would make you sad. You know, somebody, uh, the current number is 60% of the school children in our county don't live with their parents. And so if you want to think about something staggering is there's a whole generation of young adults who have gotten involved with drugs, got arrested, lost the rights to their kids. Instead of being parents, kids are being raised by kin folk, grandparents, or in the foster care system. The foster care system in our state is um, exploded in a way that's nobody knows what to do. It's a runaway train, uh, but we're thankful to be a part of a work that is trying to focus on a solution. Uh, I would say that's one thing too about our foundation is we're not uh, problem focused. Yeah, uh, we address problems, but we're we're trying to be solutions oriented. And in the journey of getting involved or feeling a calling into the opioid work. Um, our organization is leading our county coalition toward prevention. And uh, we have adopted the Icelandic model of prevention. Iceland is the only country in the world that would say out loud and people would take them serious and say they don't have a drug problem because for 20 years they've been working on a solution that's built on helping young people get through adolescence without using drugs and alcohol and chemicals. And it's not a rocket science solution. It's just a lot of hard work. And the solution is built on giving kids uh, mentoring support, a more protective structure, schools that are more in tune with helping kids understand the dangers of drugs and avoiding them. But then leisure and free time activity. Most young people start using drugs when there's nothing to do, nowhere to go, or no adults around. So those three conditions are solvable. Uh, we can provide young people in their free time positive activities. We can encourage and get more adults to be around and be concerned. And uh, that's our journey. Uh, it's, uh, we're a nation that's big on treatment and we're great at rushing to the rescue of trying to help people recover. But I think it's Frederick Douglass who said, it's much easier to raise a strong child than it is to repair a wounded man. And so we're, um, that's our work. Um, we have to raise money for everything. Our, our, our state is not known for uh, financially supporting nonprofits well at all, though they rely on the nonprofit sector to provide all the extra care that families need. So a lot of times we've had to get financial resources from all over the country and bring it here. And the problem is, is that when you almost play the role of Robin Hood, you're always gathering resources from those that have it in essence for people that don't. And what it does is it brands your community as a, a needy community. And in essence, we were winning the battle and losing the war. So that's when we had to flip our entire ministry away from mm -hmm. charity and needs-based work toward an asset-based approach. And the founder of the asset-based community development um, movement, John McKnight out of Northwestern is a dear friend. Um, all of his resources and his thinking um, that grows out of an asset-based approach really led to the development of New Vision. Um, our organization grew out of a set of relationships where we were being trained on how to make solar panels as a community group. And we learned how to do things together as friends. And we were, we were the first community with the first church on planet Earth to teach its own people how to make their own electricity from scratch. So we made 36 solar panels and put them on our church. And it led to an awareness that that kind of approach toward poverty is teaching people how to be productive, um, how to do things that they can do for themselves. Uh, made a lot of sense. Um, it doesn't always generate a lot of money financially. Some people aren't sure that it's real ministry, but it's just a misunderstanding of, I think what God would have us do is the best form of charity is that people don't really need it.
working our way out of, you know, our job. I've been here 40 years and I think, you know, the community has made some progress and we're trying to swing harder. Now we also have a, a for-profit enterprise and a nonprofit enterprise. We're trying to, we create a job training program. So we're very involved with trying to um, give people the tools they need to take care for themselves. I think as a Christian, one of the dilemmas is we, you know, believe in the all-powerful God that's unlimited in terms of potential. And then you look around your neighborhood. Unfortunately, most Appalachian communities, um, the buildings are decaying. You know, things don't get paint. It's a very humid uh, culture we live in. Thank God for good rain. I'm not complaining, but we get so much that mold and all that exists and you're always battling that. So decay is what is true. And I believe, you know, that God would want everyone to live in a place that's bright and beautiful. So we work very hard. I think um, the biggest change is, you know, in asset-based development and abundant living it had to do with the study of communities that, that John and his group did over time is some communities fall down and decay. Other communities seem to keep rising. And the, really the only big fundamental difference, it has to do with those, whether the glass is half full or half empty. And I would say as a society, nobody wants to be at the bottom of the rung. And so our state has kind of been pegged as a bottom tier, you know, struggling place the statistics when you hear about something in the country, it's usually not a positive thing. And so unfortunately you start to live in a place that you see the part of the glass that's not full at all. And you miss the magic of what is there. And, you know, I worked with one of the larger NGOs in the country for a long time. And my job was to find best practices in other countries, believing that I could find good ideas in other countries that might be able to come to Appalachia and it turned out after, you know, almost 20 years of looking, the smartest idea I found was already in my own neighborhood with a guy that was a mad scientist. And I, you know, so it's funny that you can travel looking and, and miss what's around your feet. And what's true is the only thing you can work with is what you have, not what you don't have. But every foundation that wants to fund stuff generally, and all the people want to give us, the first thing you have to say is what is the need you're trying to address? rather than what's the asset you're trying to unlock. The guy that was a mad scientist, his name is John Prusha. And when you come to visit, you know, that's my ministry is I take people to John's house. So he's from Czechoslovakia. His dad was a Baptist pastor when the communists overthrew Czechoslovakia. His dad got thrown into prison for singing Christmas carols in public. And John was a young Christian pastor's son who was now economically poor. So he would take broken things that people would throw away and he'd take them apart. And he, so he can, he could take, he, he would buy a new set of earphones and take them apart just to see what's in them. So um, he became an electrical engineer and he's, uh, he's got the Albert Einstein hairdo and the Czechoslovakian dialect. And there's nothing that moves on planet Earth that he couldn't explain to you why it moves and what makes it move and what could make it move better. So it's out of that innovation that New Vision is very hopeful that our future will be brighter than our past. We have a group of people that we've created a maker space in our center to try and create products and things that work. I showed you the picture before I came up here. We've created what we think is uh, the first automated throwing alley. So when somebody created a bowling alley, there was a time that they had to have human beings roll the balls back. Then mechanical engineers figured out how to get the ball back. And that's what makes bowling a powerful game. And it's all over the place and people have fun with it. But it's the engineering of that ball return system that makes bowling work. So inside our gym, we have a cutout on a wall where you can pitch a baseball through the strike zone. And if you can get it through the strike zone, it goes through the wall down to the basement and then the ball comes back to you. If you throw a ball, it hits the wall and you gotta go pick it up. So, you know, some people say, is that ministry? All I can say is that's something that, one, it's attractive to our young people. 
it gives them the ability. We think we'll have much better pitchers next year at this time. And when our county starts winning baseball games and people don't know why, uh, and is connected to innovation that we've learned how to make the machine work, we hope eventually they'll be throwing alleys all over the country and maybe it'll be other product that we designed that actually will end up making some money. So I think we're talking about the mindset that matters. Before anything can happen, you have to first believe it can happen before it does. Something maybe happen accidentally. I, I'm sure that's true in the world, but most things happen because people started believing that they tried. So I just heard this last week. It's a very powerful thing. Do you know what WD-40, where it came from? So everybody's used it for different things, but they were trying to figure out a material that you can keep the water out of your boots. If you're a soldier walking in Vietnam, the worst thing would be to get fungus in your feet. So WD stands for water disbursement. The number 40 was it took them 40 times to get the right formula. Once they got that number 40, there it is. They didn't have to, they have never changed the recipe from that day on. But most people aren't willing to go through 40 failures. And I think that's part of the problem with ministry people. You know, there there isn't resources to, you know, give things a try. And, and when you live in a hopeless community, when you try and it doesn't work, everybody says we failed. I don't, I don't think Thomas Edison saw it that way. You know, he just said, I know one more thing that doesn't work. He didn't see anything as a failure until he finally got to the filament for the light bulb. And once he got to that, he didn't have to change his program. So we're, we're trying to shift that way. We're trying to bring people along. It actually puts the, the church and the ministry in a unique space, uh, particularly as it relates to drug prevention in our country. I don't think there's a single county or city in America that could describe for you a process that they are trying to implement that actually would stop the drug abuse problem. It's just such a massive problem. And most people think it's like poverty is too complicated. Uh, I think part of our job is to be serious thinkers, trust the Lord for insight, and then set out on a course. You know, if we can create resiliency in the lives of our young people, there could be a generation of kids who, who actually don't fall victim to drug abuse, but it's going to take real effort. It's going to take, you know, real resources. And it's going to take real facilities. And that leads itself to our kind of community being a playground place. It's literally, we are building a community playground. It's got a soccer field. It's got basketball court. It's got, uh, you know, lots of place where you can be physically active because physical health matters. Drug abuse grows when you're physically not well. You need to take medication for your, your, your joints and all that kind of thing. We think the longer and more active you are physically and physical health matters, mental health matters. Uh, we've gotten involved with telemedicine. So some of the kids that we deal with have been victimized. And it's like PTSD in the life of a child is called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences Syndrome. Well, when a kid gets victimized as a child, their brain just doesn't develop well. So we're trying to help them get mental health. And then the job thing is economic health. We're trying to teach kids. Some kids come from families that don't have employment. And most young people learn how to work because their parents have kind of mentored that into them. When you have kids, whole generations of foster care kids that have lost their parents. Well, you lose your parents usually because they're arrested and they're confined. And it's just, um, those are challenges that are real. And I don't know that um, they're going to be overcome, but it's the right work to be doing. Uh, we appreciate being a part of a national and global network because people are thinking about the same set of issues in different contexts. We have the benefit of our neighborhood being small enough that we have about 400 families. And so we know the names of all the families. And you, you can kind of see the trajectory of all the kids. One of the challenges of rural leadership is most people that are the principal are also on the Lions Club and school board. So every, every pastor serves five or six things and it doesn't bode all that well because you stretch yourself too thin. Um, and then people, I don't know, it's just the way it is. And so we're trying to develop more capacity of more people 
to develop more leaders. A new wave of people experience anxiety and depression. Well, we have a medical world now. They go to the doctor and get another prescription. So there's just a whole nother layer of people now that are using medication to solve some of their social anxiety, which is really the absence of community. And so we're a big believer that what it is that we're working on has real, it's almost like vitamin C. You know, when you go to a place where people know your name, where you can do art or you could play basketball or you could be, you could cook good food, all that stuff. So we're a big believer in multi-functional centers that draw people together into what we would understand as a Christian community environment where relationships are bound, where information is shared. You know, mentoring historically has been how everybody learned everything. But now all of a sudden people, kids are learning everything. You know, it's not all negative. They can learn quicker online and all that, but they're not learning from the elders in the community and adults in the community aren't investing in teaching kids, you know, because there aren't places where that happens. And COVID drove what there was kind of away. And so we're believing that there'll be a day when that will end and we're gonna keep working on our center so when people do come back together they come back together around something that's wholesome wow i i uh i've been in west virginia and i totally want to go back now uh <laughs> i haven't been there for a long time but uh so great to hear uh what what uh, russin is thinking and especially uh the the asset-based community development i don't even think i really knew that phrase yeah um yeah yeah, he was a he was an early adopter of uh, John McKnight's work at a Northwestern, uh, the kind of A B C D approach uh, to asset based you know community development. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember back back in those days uh, before Rustin had become a, a leadership foundation, he was working for World Vision, and he was uh, very articulate, influent about that, and of course. It takes you all of about half a second to go, well, that's exactly the approach that's sort of baked in to the idea of seeing a city as a playground, right? You see yeah. it from its assets rather than its deficits. Um, so he's he's really worked that out. And, you know, one of the implications of that, you know, Rick, is that instead of a community like uh, Philippi or, you know, a city like New York, instead of it being a problem to be solved, um, you begin to think about it as a resource that you want to now build upon, right? You want to you want to take again this basic goodness, right? This Genesis liturgy that's at play, and how do you kind of begin to to build on it so it's good? It becomes very good, mm -hmm. um, and that's it's it's again worth noting. I know another approach that is very similar, and uh, LF has been. Uh, in is this whole idea of appreciative inquiry, right? That mm -hmm. you, again, think about this from a asset rather than a deficit sort of position. Um, one of the implications in that um, is that language, right, carries with it um, a kind of inherent power. Um, and so how you describe something will begin to get that thing itself um, to think about itself in that way. You know, we know this to be true, of course, with human beings, right? I mean, I, um, I've, I've just been with many, many damaged people, um, as Rick, you way more than me because of your role as a pastor. And what's always been interesting for me is when you begin to drill down into the damage itself, um, it is oftentimes the words that were used uh, mm -hmm. in relationship to this person, you know? Mm -hmm. They're stupid, they're fat, they're yeah. slow, they're whatever. Uh, I've said this to you before, Rick, but um, another really important person for us, Tom Skinner, used to have this wonderful adage that he says, the biggest lie ever perpetrated on humankind was the old rhyme, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, Tom would then quickly say, give me sticks and stones mm -hmm. any day uh, because words still haunt me. 
Well, that's part of what you feel in a Rustin, right? This, this, it's, it's how we even talk about Philippi in the first place that is probably going to have a lot to do uh, with her transformation long before we get to the program itself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that same thing is true almost at a interpersonal level too. Uh, you know, I'd see so many people that sometimes um, would come to uh, say church like others would come to a program and um, you know, they're there because they, they've decided I'm a problem and maybe this, uh, this can solve me, you know, (laughs) and as if uh, God were the, uh, the great mathematician, you know, in the sky, who's going to reduce us to the lowest common denominator and then try to, you know, uh, find out what X means. And I think that's why I always go to Dorothy Sayers, who, you know, wrote about the fact that, you know, problem and solution are not words that are used in scripture. You know, that even now we talked last uh, episode in Fresno, the, the idea of creating, um, you know, and, and with the creation narrative, the, the idea of creating is so abundant and so extravagant, Yeah, but it's not a solution. It's, it's a creation, you know, it's instead of like uh, making something go away, it builds on it and, uh, and shapes it and colors it. And yep. then, and then actually, I love that, you know, in Ephesians where it says, you know, uh, God's doing an art show and, yep. you know, he said he wants to, he wants to display or to show the the richness of his kindness. And so I think that, uh, Rustin gets it, you know, that there's an art show going on in Philippi yep. and it's, you know, it's the people, you know, and, yep, you know, and so when you know somebody who is, who's not trying to solve you, it, there's something magnetic about him as well. You kind of want to, you want to hang out with them for sure. So. Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, yeah. And you can see that in in the language of uh, the gifts, it's seeing people as a gift in the community. Yeah, he, he's a, you know, again, I've just had so many conversations with Russin through the years. And, you know, particularly given at times the optics that I think, albeit falsely and cruelly, but have been attached at times to West Virginia and particularly, yeah. you know, some of these, these smaller towns, uh, a kind of backwardsness. Um, and if, if, if you ever want to see, you know, Rustin, you know, get his ire up quickly, um, it would be to talk like that about a West Virginia and his fierce commitment to the talent and the gifts that sit in this community. And he uh, has this almost kind of magical way of, of, finding these women and men and giving them a platform by which to begin to demonstrate that. And, you know, by the end of it, as you said, it's, you're just absolutely persuaded and go, you know, that's, that's the way to do it. You know, it's, it's interesting just as a little aside, um, you know, I just had a chance, uh, Rick, to have a good conversation with our friend and mentor, um, Ray Baki, who, uh, you know, is <clears throat> sort of towards the end of his life here. And so I had one last time with him and yeah. thanking him on behalf of uh, both, you know, my obviously, you know, debt to him personally, as well as the LF network as a whole. And Ray, you know, he, <laughs> I mean, right to the end, he, uh, he was just, you know, waxing eloquently and and he said, you know, he says, Dave, he says the key to every community, you know, and city to, you know, get better are the three P's. And I, uh, I paused, right. Cause I've, I've, I've heard Rev, I've, I've yeah. drunk from the yeah, Kool-Aid yeah. and, uh, but I said, huh. And, uh, he, he kind of looked at me and he said, do you remember them? And, you know, I was kind of fumbling here a bit and I said, well, there's the prophet, um, you know, for sure. And, uh, and then the priest, but I was just searching Rick for this third P, uh, because from my vantage point, it, Ray had never shared it. And he said, the poet, mm. and we had this great conversation about, again, you know, here's this extravagant abundance of God so much so that it's like this developing nation uh, if it's going to reach its, you know, kind of expectancy and and uh, you know what it what it's meant to be, you know, you're going to have to have the hard word of the prophet at times to keep them on track. You're going to have to have the priests that can come in and you know help bring things along, but you need somebody 
a poet that can talk with language about people and the way that they can, you know, aspire and, uh, you know, become what they were meant to become. And, you know, it, it got me thinking about Rustin. Rustin mm-hmm. does probably all three Ps, truth be told. But it's that, it's that poet side of Rustin that I thought, you know, in this, this interview came out um, because he just absolutely talks uh, time and time again about the gifts, you know, the, uh, the embedded potentiality of Philippi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that is so great. And one again, uh, first, for most of us, we know that you not only um, uh, had a chance to visit Ray, but you also brought our greetings. Many of us had a chance to write something down and you handed that off. We appreciate that, Dave. And then also he, uh, uh, Ray decided he put the blessing on, on you for, uh, for the, for the LF community. And so uh, thanks for being there to kind of receive that um, on our behalf. Yeah. Thanks. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's been a uh, wonderful episode, and we uh, we always end our our episodes by uh, a recommendation that would help us see more clearly uh, the city as a playground and would open our eyes to see the city as God does. And uh, we have a few recommendations from our uh, prophet, priest, and poet, uh, Rustin Stevens. So let's uh, let's hear what Rustin has to say. Wonderful. As a movie, we actually we've started a chess club. Um, because what we realize is kids have to learn how to think better. If you're not careful, you can make a bad move and you can blow your life up quickly. And so we have a chess club. There's a movie called the queen of Katwi, and uh, it's a Disney movie that you'll have to watch now. And it's a, a girl in a slum in Uganda, who's the national chess champion. And she was taught by somebody that was mentoring her in a game that has made a difference around the world. So those are the only two things. Good music. I, I recommend Casey Kasem's Top 40 Countdown every Saturday. I don't know. Maybe I long for a more simple time, but anyway, every Saturday I listen to what things were like in the 80s. And so that's been good therapy for me. Well, thanks again, Dave. Uh, we are now uh, more extravagant and more abundant human beings as a result of this episode. And uh, in the last, uh, you know, even the, the last several episodes where we've uh, been able to hear from uh, LF leaders in, in different parts of the world. So look forward to next time. Absolutely, Rick. Great time. Great time.